this week on the Smitty and Mitty Show. As I'm walking the finest line between confident and cautious. Well, I mean, you can't see colors. Now you can't hear words. Like, what are you? What are, what are you? Don't go anywhere. It's coming up next. And now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Start your engines! 90% of the time, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. The show that's got everyone saying... You are so dumb. For real. With Smitty. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. And Mitty. Here's your question. Spell red. Red. L-S-T-E-R. All right. All right. Is that your final answer? This is the Smitty Mini Show. Smitty Mini Podcast. Mini back in studio for a special day. I'm staying away from you and sick Rick. I'm making sure I'm staying socially distanced. But we are far away. But because of something special I'm doing today, I am back in studio and very excited to be here. I almost forgot how to get the down the stairs. So yes, it so is. I am uh, now. Those stairs are tough, though, right? You got to go down, go eight, turn right, go down eight. Well, the thing is, they just keep coming. Yes. No matter how fast you walk, how slow you walk, there's the same number of steps. That is uh, that is how and stairs you, work. You always run the risk yes. of tripping, and there's cement at the bottom of them. So if you hit your head on the cement, look it, you're going to be doing it yourself. Yes, your life, your and that's life a problem. is over. And that is, uh, let's thank our sponsors before we get too far into the stairs dilemma. Goldline Curling, the choice of champions, and Dave Middleton at Sun Life Financial in King Garden. Life's brighter under the sun. Both of those people, I'm sure, really good at doing stairs. They've been doing it for a while. Mitty, not so much. We're also sponsored by Steve Stairs up in Nunavut, I believe. Wow. That's a new one. Is it? That's why we talked about stairs off the top. Yes, good. I really hope there isn't actually a Steve Stairs, because then we just gave him a plug that he didn't pay for. So if you did, well, Steve happy. didn't actually pay. Uh, check out our social media page, Smitty Mitty Show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The Smitty Mitty Show on YouTube. Something very, very, very special heading up there Wednesday, as long as... Noah gets it done. Remember, Wednesday is is, is the third day. Yes. It, it really, it all comes down to me getting the video done and prepared and on the YouTube page by Wednesday. Shouldn't be an issue. Shouldn't be an issue. But hey, these things have happened in the past. Why don't you go ahead and tell people what this is? Because it's something that you've been excited about for weeks now. I have three former players and one athletic therapist joining me to talk about the OHL championship. Ten years. 10 years since the Sound Attack won their first and only OHL championship. Not true. They did win. Technically, they won one when they were in Guelph. Since they've been in Owen Sound. Since they moved to Owen Sound as their first championship. So really exciting. Obviously, I was on that team. You, you found a picture of me yes. on that team. Half your head. Hey, that's all you need, baby. Half your head in behind everyone who's celebrating. Do you see the hair, though? You, oh, that's <laughs> how I knew it was you. The mop on the kid. Yeah, beautiful. It's gorgeous. If you're ever at the Bayshore and you're heading by the, uh, the Attack Pack booth, they still have the picture in the back there, and it's a lot clearer picture. You can see my face in all of its glory. <laughs> I promise. I promise I was there. So, yeah, Joey Hish and, Jayden, or Joey Hish and Jared Maidens and uh, Brendan Childerly are joining me, joining me along with Andy Brown. So we're going to be doing a little talk, and that you'll actually be able to hear that next week on CFOS. That's going to be sponsored by or hosted by just me. So I will just be there. And you're going to be doing something special for St. Mary's listeners. Yeah, because you're up in CFOS doing that with the Owen Sound listener base on the radio show this upcoming weekend, the long weekend. I will be in St. Mary's on stmarysradio.com hosting a Smitty Mini Show Best Of. We're just going to go back. We're going to listen to some of the great interviews, some of the funniest moments that we've had, and uh, kind of just have a little bit of fun with that. And then we'll get back together for the radio show the week after that. So just one week away, although if we like it, 
No promises that we're not going to stay apart. Yeah, this is the test. I want to see if I can do it by myself. I'm pretty sure I can, but this is just a test. <laughs> he, he says he's going to see if he can do it by himself, but he still sends it off to me to edit and for me <laughs> to do all the production work. And I'm still sitting here in studio with him. He's just talking into the microphone by himself. Yeah, but I'm the best at it. We'll I'm see. the best at speaking to the microphone that, that we know. Like when you go back and do the best ofs, guess what? It's going to be all my clips. Do you think? Yeah, there's going to be like one of you laughing in the background. That's all. You're going to have to make sure every now and then you're just going to have to go, I was there too, just so people know that you were actually on the episode. <laughs> I'm going to have to make sure that I only clip my clips. That's, that's going to be one boring show. A five-minute best of. Yeah, that's going to be a boring, boring <laughs> show. Uh, on this show, I've got a very uh, exciting topic I'm going to talk to you about. It goes back to the Kentucky Derby. Ooh, I'm excited. Does anyone watch the Kentucky Derby up here? It's a you bigger thing down there. Right in the states, and of course down uh, closer to Kentucky. But up here, like, is it a big thing? Well, we got the Triple Crown, right? I know the Kentucky Derby's there. What What are the other two races in the Triple Crown? Can you even name them? Uh, Queen's Plate. Okay, I think that's the last one, right? Is that even, or is that in Canada? I have no idea. Honest, honestly, the only reason I watch them is if there is a chance for a Triple Crown. But even then, it's like an hour and a half of lead up of people talking about really short people riding horses that are like way too strong that for horses to be and then it's like what a three minute race okay but that, that that sums up sports for you in sports broadcasts think about how long the pregame show is for the super bowl okay well, that's that's, that's one special but the game is like five hours i know but in comparison it's still crazy long. what do you mean in comparison if you're comparing it it's a three minute race and like a three-hour pregame, you so just, it would have to be like a. Hour, you just said an hour and a half. Now you're putting up to three hours to try and prove your point. Well, it depends. It depends. I've never <laughs> watched it. I don't know. <laughs> you just said you watched it. I've watched it like once, but I'm not watching the, the <laughs> you breakdown. Just said you watched it. They're like this one's a trotter. Like I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if roll the dice is possibly going to be coming in third. Like what a name. It could be. There are some great names. That the is Smitty. the one. That is the one. I think we could get a horse. Yeah, we could. The horses are expensive. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. They, I mean, they are. There's, we need to make a lot more money to be able to buy ourselves a horse. Listen, we're going to be starting a GoFundMe page if you wouldn't mind <laughs> heading over there and giving a couple dollars. We're looking to put a horse in the Kentucky Derby next year. But yeah, so next I guess. Next year, too. Yeah, next year. Just, so make sure you get thing. on. Hit that hit that donate button because we need your money. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to be talking about that a little bit later. And uh, we got two amazing interviews, as you always say. Uh, the first one coming up with James Naylor. That's not true. First one coming up with James Neller. He is from Condor Sports Performance over in Australia. So um, you didn't understand him. You didn't understand a word. You have a problem with accents. So we're going to try and stay with him. Problem with you have a major problem with accents. I just sometimes accents are hard to pick up when you're trying to pay attention to what they're saying. No, 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 no. All you have to do is listen. If you listen, like you're fine. So I'm the stupid one here. Well, I mean, you can't see colors now. You can't hear words. Like, what are you? What What are you, Noah I am, Smith? I am the greatest Noah Smith to ever live. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I can't dispute that because I don't know any other Noah Smith. So to me, you are. I am number one. The, the best Noah I am Smith one. that there I am is. Number one. Uh, yeah, we're also going to talk to Ryan Furnish of the Talking Buds podcast later on in the show. Toronto Maple Leafs kicking off the playoffs this week, so we'll dig into that. And when I say we, I mean you and Ryan will dig into that. I could care less about the Leafs yeah, in the playoffs. No, next week we're going to dig into the Senators' playoff run, so that's going to be very exciting Guess for you. Guess what I finally got? What'd my you? Senators' jersey. Oh, just in time, I eh? only ordered that five months ago, <laughs> and it just came in about two days after the Sens played their final game of the year. That's about right, though, eh? That's about right. Always <laughs> always coming in last. Oh, my God. I have terrible luck with jerseys, though. I bought a uh, Mike Fisher jersey when he was on the Sens, traded two days later. 
We did the... Uh, Donaldson, gone in three I months. I did that too. I did... Okay, so I have a Vernon Wells jersey. I have a Roy Holiday jersey, who was his birthday this week, so happy birthday happy to Doc. Happy birthday, Roy. Uh, rest in peace. Also, uh, Jose Bautista, he was shipped off, and then Marcus Stroman. So those are the four jerseys I have. But like relatively quickly, though, I'm talking. No, like, yeah, I'm talking yeah, the same like, year. It's why I don't buy player jerseys often. But just think about it. Like, think about those contracts. Yeah. Bautista. Like, Vernon Wells was the biggest one of the time. But Jose Bautista was one of the biggest players. Doc Holliday is the, I would say, the best pitcher to ever pitch for the Blue Jays. And Marcus Stroman is Marcus Stroman. Like, they actually didn't make Marcus Stroman jerseys over small, so I really had to squeeze into that one. But <laughs> but they were shipped off all. The Bautista was one's not bad because Bautista kind of, he didn't, like, it wasn't a bad way to leave, if you know what I mean. Like, he wasn't, like... Well, they signed up to like a $17 million year or dollar contract for one year and he pooped all over the bed. But he still goes down as one of the greatest Blue Jays. Oh, for sure. So, I mean, it's still a good jersey to have. I mean, it's all not, those players it's not I think one, are going down. It's not down one that you can, if you're going to walk around town in a Bautista jersey, I'm not going to go, oh, Bautista Jays jersey. That's a bold thing to wear. If you were wearing a Stroman jersey, it's a little bit of a different story. I don't think so. I think Stroman think so. is one of the clutchest pitchers. So if if clutch was a stat, Marcus Stroman is at the top of that list. He runs his mouth too much. We're already going too far up top because we really <laughs> we have a lot of interviews coming up here. So why don't we just get to our first one and we'll, and we'll let him talk about his profession and not us gab, gabbling, gabbing, 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 gabbing about jerseys. Sure. Sure. Uh, let's welcome on then James Neller, a uh, psychologist with Condor Sports Performance across the pond in Australia. James, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's a really great honor to be on here, boys. Thank you very much. It's Condor Performance Sports because what happens, unfortunately, is that if you just Google Condor, you'll get a lot of really great pictures of some fantastic birds. <laughs> but it won't do you any good if you want to help your sports performance. So Condor Performance Psychologist is, is the easiest way to find us on Google. And I think you'll, uh, we'll, we'll throw a link for sure down in this episode's, uh, in the paste, we'll throw a link down there for sure. But I think you'll also find a really fast airplane. I think that was a Condor. <laughs> possibly you might be ahead of me on that one fair enough the uh so this was a really interesting one for us to do you know we've talked to a lot of athletes but um i was intrigued by i heard that there was a lot of north american sports uh teams i guess that that do have sports psychologists on staff and actually have them there so first of all i want to start what is the profession what 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 do you do well sports psychology obviously a profession out of most of what we do is still based in psychology. Um, so we're still looking at human behavior, thoughts, emotions, processes, uh, ways that we can that we learn, uh, which is an, an enormously ways that we communicate. So when you talk about professional teams or even amateur teams, uh, team cohesion, team unity, the way that they work together is an enormous part of it. And it's one of those things where what we try and do as a sports psychologist is what we're is to get an athlete to perform at or as close to their best as consistently and often as possible and to create routines and create a process so that they can do that regardless of a lot of external distractions. Um, like a lot of things, it sounds a lot simpler than it actually is to achieve, but, but that's what we're aiming for, Yeah. Um, and, and for sports psychologists, we probably also, uh, you'll find there's a little bit of a, a, a divergence even inside the, uh, the profession between performance and well-being. 
Um, for us at Condor Performance, we, we definitely look at both sides. We look very much and say that a, a happy athlete will perform better. So we look at both sides of it as well. So, yeah, I would hope that the professional teams are, are using their sports psychologists in both realms, but lots of these days are, are sort of saying we'll have a well-being and we'll have a, a performance. So it can depend a little bit. So what kind of sports do you deal with on a daily basis? Not just you personally, but uh, the company as a whole. You mentioned to us before we came on here that you deal a lot with the North American clients as well. So are you guys in almost every single sport or at least professionally? I would think we're fairly close to it. Yeah. Um, I know. And, and the beauty of what we have is that we've got 10 or a, no, we're up to 11 now. 11 psychologists is that across 11 psychologists, like anywhere in the world, you'll find people that have got different interests in different sports. And that's one of the beauties of what we bring um, is that some of the guys are, are really into their North American sports and some are more into what we would call traditional in Australia. And then some will be more into European sports, things like football or soccer, depending on which way you want to call it. Um, so we work across that. Uh, yeah. So for me personally, I've worked with, Olympic athletes, so Olympic sports, team sports, uh, you know, so basketball, baseball, hockey, um, both ice and field, um, you know, football, soccer, um, NFL, basketball, I said basketball, didn't I? yeah, um, golf, tennis, cricket, which is a big one for a lot of the countries that um, down here, yeah. You name it, we've probably had a go of it. And then we get um, some of the more interesting things or the little offbeat things. I work with uh, professional poker players and had some stock traders and pilots and, and uh, surgeons because that the work that they're doing is often in that same sort of rarefied performance-based area where a lot of the skills are the same, even though they might not necessarily be competing against someone. So do... First of all, do you guys kind of, with all of your psychologists or all of your, yeah, your psychologists, do you guys specifically work with um, specific, uh, you know, leagues and sports? Does it change from sport to sport to sport? It changes from sport to sport to sport. Yeah, that's one of the beauties. We try and be flexible. So, yes, we've got a couple of um, specific teams that are interested or that we work with. So we'll have a two or three of us are working with that team or that club um, but most of our work would be with individual athletes at this point in time um, individual athletes coaches officials you know uh, who, who and most of them at this point in time source us individually rather than as a team but we do both have you ever had a case where a team has sourced you out and you've worked with guys that maybe felt like this wasn't going to work for them and then it did? Because I feel like it would be a big thing. You know, someone's just like, oh, I don't need that. That's not going to affect my game. And then you work with them for a little bit. They turn around and they realize that this has changed their game massively. Yeah, very much so. It's, it's one of those beautiful little aha moments when you sort of hook someone, when they realize that you might actually be talking something sensible instead of a whole load of rubbish. Um yeah, and again, as you say, particularly in teams, is that uh, it can be mandated to the, to the player that they, they've got to go and talk to this group and they're going, well, what do I need to talk to them for? Oh, okay. So that's part of, the, that's part of the, the charm of the job is doing the work of finding the person and finding where your in is, is to get some sort of value or traction that way. 
so yeah, very much so. That happens regularly. Um, one of my favourite early questions is to ask people, so what got you to finally talk to us? Because for most athletes, um, sports psychology is not the first place they turn to. It's usually we're trying to, to find a lot of things around our technique and around our physical and around all sorts of other things. And we'll talk to the old pros and we'll talk to a cut, you know, to try and work these things out. And a sports psych is sort of a fair way down the track of when we actually go, okay, I'm going to go and try that now. And there's almost that mark of resignation. So when I ask them that question, I get some really interesting answers around, yeah, look, I've done this or I've tried this this many times or nobody could find a way. So you're sort of walking into an interesting, difficult ground because you're going, well, they've tried a bunch of things, but at the same time, when you can get a result for them, yeah, they love you for it which is really nice, you know, plus you get to see them go forward, which is what you're after. Well, yeah, especially in, in you know, high, high performance athletes, it's all about your physical condition. It's all about lifting. When you go to college, you know, I went to college at a soaking 185 and came out at 210 of pure muscle. Like it's all about putting muscle on, but nobody thinks about what does this mean for the mental side of, of the, of the athlete in general. And that's it. I mean, you you, you take uh, uh, you know any of the NFL players or even the high, you know, the ice hockey guys. They're all exceptionally strong guys. They're all exceptionally strong. You know, yes, there are some that are stronger than others, and we would be able to measure a difference if we do Olympic lifting with them. But when you're talking about actually playing the game, the the, the level of difference in in um, strength is minimal then if you've got yourself to the to the nth level of that, then where's your next area for improvement? I guess that's where we look at what we do, where you can legally work with a sports psychologist, whereas walking, working with a sports scientist sometimes and some of their uh, concoctions can run you a little bit of trouble. <laughs> at this point in time, there's nothing illegal about seeing a sports psychologist <laughs> coming up with a, a pseudo-magic pill as opposed to a real one. Now, I imagine this question is going to be not one that's tough to answer, but you might not have an answer for how long does it take when you start working with an athlete? And it's going to, obviously it's going to be different for everybody, but generally how long do you think it takes before you start seeing someone make noticeable changes in their game from when you started working with them? Yeah, we have a saying in Australia, it's called, you know, it's a piece of string question. How long is a piece of string? Twice half its length. Um, yeah. It really depends on the athlete and it depends on what the issue is. Um, but I think you generally will see results within the first month or two, well and truly. So for us, for most clients, that would be two or three sessions. We'd be expecting to see something, some sort of a movement. Yeah. And, and what, sorry, what is a, a positive movement for you? What, what is a sign that, you know, we're getting through to this athlete, a positive sign? Usually it's the athlete lets you know very clearly. They'll, they'll tell you. Look, I was out on the, I was out in the ice last week, and instead of freezing up, I was able to let my shot go properly. I thought, you know, I was able to do all, the, all the stuff that's been holding me back. I just went and did it. You know, and that's those moments where, as the psychologist, you're then trying to, because they'll then the next thing they'll talk about is, oh, but then I went back into my shell and I felt like I failed because I went back into my shell, and you've got to then prize that back out and go, okay. That might have happened, but previously, you know, you were getting none out of 10 times. This time we got one. We've got a movement. We've got a step. We've got that first little bit to, to get going. 
to give them the encouragement. Sometimes we have to, you know, get the pom-poms out and do a bit of cheerleading um, to, to just let them, you know, do what, what we call it in psych is we term it reframing. It's reframing their point of view of how they go about that. So most of the time we would see it through the athlete because uh, I guess a little bit like when you go back to the gym, if you haven't been for a long time, you know, the first two or three weeks you'll start seeing results for yourself, but nobody else will. You know, and it takes five or six before everyone, before the close family and friend and 12 weeks or so before everyone sees it. It can often be that the athlete will be the one who gives you the feedback to tell you that something's changed. Now, when I was doing research for you to come on here, uh, reading the website, I was really intrigued to see officials on the page. I, I myself am a hockey official at the junior and senior level. Uh, Mr. Smith over there, he is a, a baseball umpire. So it intrigues me because... You know, I, I've seen a lot of really talented officials leave the game because they can't handle what I'll call the abuse. And, and it's, it's kind of built in as part of the job. It's like you, you get used to handling the abuse and you have to have thick skin to be an official. So I'm kind of I'm personally really curious as to what you do with officials specifically. And is it kind of based around that? You know what? People are going to yell at you. You got to kind of let it brush off you a little bit. Yeah, very much. So similar to the athletes, I mean, with the officials, we're still trying to make decisions in under pressure. We're still trying to make sure we've got good, consistent decision-making processes. We're trying to make sure that we're filtering the correct information to make the decision on. All those things are exactly the same as what an athlete has to do when they're making a play. So we can work on those exact same things. And a big part of also is they're not tying ourselves, our, our self-personal worth to everyone else's opinion. I don't think I've ever, ever seen an official that gets clapped off at the end of a game unless, unless they've been run over <laughs> and they're getting carried off, then they might. But we never see it, unfortunately, and you're right. It's, you know, all of our sports wouldn't exist without people that are willing to do it, but we're probably going to have a really tough time changing the, the societal opinion on that. So then what we need to do is work with the guys that are doing it, the guys and the girls that are doing it, and say, okay, well, you make the decision, you move on, yeah? But you make the decision based on this process, this information, and with this sort of an impassioned way of going about doing it so that we don't get caught up in the emotion, we don't get caught up in how long's left in the match, we don't get caught up on who's behind, who's in front. Just make the decision based on the facts and the information as you saw them. Back yourself to do it. Accept that you're going to make some mistakes because you will. You know, my favourite fun bit is that all the athletes make mistakes. They make mistakes that are bigger than a lot of the officials, but we don't read about them in the paper the next day most of the time. You know, but the official makes a howler. Oh, we never hear the end of it. Everybody wants to change everything. So it's very, very similar in that process of, well, what we're trying to do is get them to just do their process but not have their, their self-worth and, and their ego tied to their performance. I'm well, assuming with the athletes. It's just, it took me a long time. I started officiating hockey when I, I couldn't do it anymore. I was playing high level baseball and I, I couldn't afford to get hurt on the ice. So I moved, I moved to officiating to stay in the sport. And I was like maybe 15 years old. And it was really tough when I first had, you know, I've had parents chase me out of the arena. I've had, parents throwing stuff at me like i've i've had to deal with a lot of stuff and it's unfortunate especially yeah. for the young guys and it helps when you have 
guys around you that can say like, Hey, this happens. You did a fine job. You did a great job. Get over it. Um, but it, it's tough. And I've seen a lot of guys that have moved on from the career path and have been very good at it just because like, it, it takes a lot to get your mind over. That's people. When you make a call, half the people are going to be happy with you. Half are going to be sad with you. And you have your own team there that are going to help you through it and are going to tell you if you made a mistake. And if you didn't make a mistake, learn from it. And I think that's also where it's it's important that um, that the hierarchies, that the sporting hierarchies are putting in place um, ways to support those people, particularly, as you said, when they're young, young officials doing it. You know, I see the same thing, weekend sports over here. You know, young kids that are, you know, even younger than yourself at that when you're talking 15, but that are out there trying to referee a, a match of any kind and parents on the sideline expecting them to officiate as if it was the, you know, as if it was the NFL, as if it was the NBA, as if it was, you know, you're just going, hang on a sec. It's a bunch of 14-year-old kids playing the game and a 16-year-old kid that's refing it and you're wanting perfection. Perfection's such a... Such a dangerous term in sports. It, it, it's a wonderful goal, um, as in something to strive for, but it's a horrible yardstick because we'll always come up short. Yeah. Well, I can imagine as well. And when I when I think about what you do and what you do when you work with these athletes, it's tough because athletes like to have goals, right? They like to have things that they can see they are reaching. So when you sit down with an athlete and you do a session with an athlete, do you guys set goals like an end goal of, we want to be here? Maybe not something you can see, but something that they certainly feel. Yeah, very much so. So what we'll probably look at uh, when I sit down and do any sort of, well, certainly in the initial sessions, one of the things that I'll ask people is what do they want? What are they after out of this? You know, I, I think I'm joking, particularly with a lot of the kids. Uh, I jokingly say, if I had a, a magic wand sitting in the drawer, what would I be? What would we be seeing at the end of it all? And obviously, they'll say, you know, I want to win Stanley Cup, or I want to, you know, have, win a Super Bowl, or I want to. You know, great, they're fantastic goals, but what's your level of influence over that? It's very minimal. What are the things you can influence? What are the things that you've got lots of control over? If you want to use that word instead. And we start bringing the goals back to things that they've got really strong levels of control over. So I probably focus a lot more on what I would call a process goal than an outcome goal, Um, things that they've got a really high level of influence over. So that might be being on time, having all your gear together, training really hard, putting putting your effort in, putting your teammates first, um, you know, working on your skills, getting it, you know, all the real basics but then build the opportunity to then perform at the next level. Now, this is kind of piggy, this is kind of piggybacking off the last question, but for you, do you ever get to a point where you say, I've done all I can, like this is the end, I've done as much as I can, it's up to you now, or are you still kind of just reading off of the athlete and, and what they're telling you? Obviously, you're reading off the athlete, but to answer the question straight out, yeah, you do. You do occasionally. Uh, I was lucky enough, uh, I did a a course where I was on with a lot of AFL's Australian Football League. It's a football competition down here in Australia. Very, very big. Nowhere else in the world. Gotta love it. But It's a a really fun sport. Every now and then it'll be on like a Sunday morning down here and it's a crazy sport. (laughs) 
Oh, look, you guys love action and, and as in North Americans, Canadians love action. You should definitely Google things like the AFL and the National Rugby League as two sports that you guys would love, I reckon, given your penchant for really action-based sports. But uh, I did a luncheon with them and I was sitting with a couple of top coaches and I asked them, you know, what was the best thing or hardest thing you learned in coaching? And one of the guys said to me, when to get the hell out of the way? He said, when I've got a, an athlete or you know, a player going in a really good direction, I see lots of junior coaches come in and they, they want to fix something or change something just to prove that they're good at what they do, that they're a good coach. And he said, and sometimes I, I just wish they'd get them out of the way. <laughs> and I sort of, when I listened to it, I went, that's probably a really good lesson for me to learn as well. So, yeah, I have that conversation with some of my athletes occasionally where I go, you know what? I don't want to throw anything more at you right now. I want you to go away and work on what you've got right at the present. Come back to me when you want to. Come back to me when you want to fine tune. You know, a, a little bit like sharpening a samurai sword. You sharpen it, you sharpen it, but then you just do a little bit of fine tuning to keep the blade sharp. But you're not, you didn't sharpen the blade. You're just knocking off a few rough edges. You know? Yeah, I can, I can imagine that uh, the mind is like the body where sometimes it's feeling great and you can just run. And then every now and then, you know, something happens, it breaks and you, you need to have talks. So just knowing that there's somebody there too, that you can talk to. And that kind of leads me into something just off the top of my mind. Do you see an increase of athletes that are maybe injured and need that help to get over not being able to perform? Because that's, that's something that I've seen personally, athletes have a real problem with is, you know, I have a broken shoulder, I have a broken arm. I'm out for six months. What do I do? That was my life. Well, the thing for athletes is that that's a grief response. You know, me, I break my shoulder and it just makes typing difficult. <laughs> it's not really a, an enormous problem, you know, type of thing. Um, I'll still be able to work. I'll still be able to do pretty much everything else. I just can't go and play my golf on the weekend. That, that, that's, that's my biggest hassle. But I only played a hack, so it doesn't really matter. But if that's your career or you are just on the verge of making it, wow, all your dreams, all your goals possibly gone. And I think that's one of the things that is really hard for, for the athletes is to understand that. I mean, COVID last year with the Olympics getting put back was a really good example of something completely outside their control, but they've now got to learn to deal with. And this last 12 months has been really challenging for a lot of my athletes for exactly that. Where's my motivation? You know, for some of them, it was, this is my last Olympics. I'm pretty much over it, but I've got, you know, the Olympics is this close. I can get it done for that long. And suddenly COVID comes around. Shit, I've got to do it another 12 months. <laughs> at the level that they've been working at for the, for eight, 10 years, that one more year is a big year, you know? So, yeah, trying to work with them through that is to, and to help them understand that it's a grief process because, there will be a lot of people around them that are going, it's just an athlete, you're going to be okay, you're going to be okay. It's like, well, yeah, they are. But if, you're, you know, if your sport life is only, what, 10 years? What's, a, what's an ice hockey player's you know, top level? What's a really good lengthy career? 10, 15 years maybe? Yeah, 20 yeah, years at the top. Yeah. yeah, maybe. That's right. And, you know. and even shorter for you know football players. Like their average career is only three years, so you, you miss a year. There's 30, yeah, that's right. You missed a third of your playing career. Plus, of course, then there's the, the flow-ons <laughs> of any endorsements and afters. And, you know, and for a number of athletes, they've made a decision that this is what they want to do, forsaking anything else. You know, 
Um, it, it is one of the great things about the North American collegial systems in, in the fact that, you know, a lot of the athletes get the scholarships based on their athletic prowess but still get the education. I think that's great. We don't do it as well over in this country for that one. Um, our athletes basically get left with you make a choice of one or the other. <laughs> Trying to do both is really difficult. Um, but, yeah, you're trying to work with those guys to understand that, yes, this could be an end of career, but how are we going to move forward with it? What's the opportunity here? How do we, we turn this around? But allow them the space to grieve. Allow them the space to understand that this is upsetting, sad, frustrating, angry. You know, that all of those feelings are okay and reasonable. And that's okay, but we also can't sit in them forever. What if you don't play sports at a high level? I don't want to get too like emotional, but I, I think you don't understand what it means. Like when I have a bad day and I know that I can go to the baseball field and I forget about everything else that's happening. It is that that's it's my second home. That's where I feel safe being on the ball field with my family. So to have that eventually taken away from me too, I think is going to be a huge problem, but uh, we're running a little low. So I'm going to have, we have a couple more questions and then we'll get into where they can find you and then we'll, we'll let you go. But first of all, I know there's going to be a lot of parents. They're always trying to give their, their, uh, their kids the upper hand where we saw Tommy John surgery took a huge jump a couple of years ago as a preemptive thing in like 12 year olds. Like, so when they hear you talk, they're going to think, Hey, my kid needs to be in this. So I want to know, what age do you think it is appropriate for an athlete to, to start talking to a psychologist? Depends what you're expecting out of it. Um, I mean, initial talks about things like having good routines, good practice habits, good effort habits, you can start that from pretty much the earliest age you want to start trying to teach skills. Yeah. You can talk to, to those sorts of things. If you want to talk a little bit higher end, I think you're probably looking at the the early, you know, 12, 13, early teen type age groups is where they start to be able to really start put some of those things together. Plus it helps if they've already got most of their basic skills down by that stage. If you're trying to learn skills and then trying to learn mental processes to go with it, it's always the fear of just overload of too much. How do I put everything, you know, because once you start thinking about um, a thousand things, like I said, I'm a recreational golfer, love it, but, Golfers, you know, we end up with 1,500 thoughts going through our head when you're standing over a ball and all that will guarantee is that it will be a terrible strike. <laughs> you want to keep it to as few as possible. So, you know, um, you know similar sort of thing. And in any sport, um, we, we would like them to be as relaxed as possible. So, you know, if parents want something to do with their kids really young, it's teach them how to learn how to learn to relax. Get them to do a little bit of breathing exercises. Get them to do a little bit of meditation stuff. You know, some of this sort of stuff, and allow them to learn how to, when they're really upset, bring themselves back down as to how they're they're dealing with that is a good start. But I think with condo performance, I know my age is sort of thirteen up. I do a lot of work with metaphors and analogies, and I find that under thirteen they struggle a little bit with me for that reason. It's not I love kids, but that's just not my strength area. Um, but I know a couple of the other guys with condo performance take a little bit younger than that. Um, I, I think officially we're about 10. I'll have to check that one and come back to you on exactly, exactly what that is. Cause it's not, I'm not the youngest. I don't do the youngest, 
Um, but I think around that that early teenage year is a really good time for them to start putting some of that stuff together because most of them by then have they've got the basic skills of their sport down. They've got basic strategy stuff down as well that they can then apply everything that we work on into a game-based scenario, into an event-based scenario and say, yeah, okay, that's how it works for me. They're also a lot better at being able to explain, this is what's going on for me, James. I'm struggling with this or this situation, you know, rather than a six-year-old says, I just feel bad. Yeah, that's hard work. (laughs) I'm going with that. And you know what? At ten years old, too, they're still learning. They're not yeah. anywhere close to their, their brain is still going through a massive amount of changes. So, yeah. um, one more question before we talk about your uh, what you guys do specifically and where we can find you. Just real quick, I want to know. We've seen an increase in, and I don't even know if you can answer this, but we've seen a huge increase in in TBI, traumatic brain injuries yeah. that come from from sports, specifically, um, you know, soccer with heading and as long and or, or football over there and as long with, and also football with here, American, North American football, you know, on the lines and stuff like that. So I want to know, have you seen an increase in, in, in kind of those injuries and how do you, what just in general, what's your feeling about, you know, the brain and sports? Well, obviously my general feeling about the brain and sports is that it's vital and you should talk to us lots, but, um, <laughs> um, I think we are seeing a bit more of an increase in it. I think the awareness is obviously part of it as well. I think you've got a little bit of both going on. The more we're aware of it, obviously we notice it. You know, I was talking to my son on the weekend and we were watching a local football match here and one of the young bikes got knocked out. And, you know, he sort of just looked at me and said, have you ever had that happen? I said, yeah. I said, I remember a game where I got knocked out about three minutes into an 80-minute game. Um, and he said, oh, did they carry you off? I said, no, I played the game. I said, but I got back in the shed and I looked at the guy next to me and said, did we win? <laughs> and he just looked at me with this strange look of, yeah, we did. And I went, oh, okay. And then I went, is it half time or is it full time? And <laughs> you can see his face completely confused. Now, in today's game, I should be taken off straight away because I'm obviously out. But, you know, muscle memory comes into it. You can play the game. You can play the sport. You know it, you know? Um, and I think we've got, uh, I think all of the organisations now have a much bigger duty of care for it. You know? So I think absolutely erring on the side of caution is an extremely important thing. We know that with the brain, it, it's not actually that strong. You know, you've got this great big ball of jello sitting up inside a, you know, a very hard shell and it gets knocked around and it doesn't just have to be from actually getting hit with something, you know, it can be that the start, the starting or stopping forces, you know, whiplash effects that can do the job. Um, so yeah, you know, NFL is doing lots of it over here. The rugby league is doing a lot of research into it for exactly that. You know, we, we've got plenty of it. Um, and I think a lot of the sports are now implementing a lot of concussion rules, uh, which are really sensible, you know, and we're getting to a point where we are trying to, decrease this idea that tough equals that, that being stupid basically is tough. You know, and if we can get that, we might look after people a little bit better so that when they get to, you know, 45, they can still eat their own sandwich. Yeah. Now, now quickly, just before we finish things off here, a lot of people might be listening to this and wondering how can I get involved 
with someone like yourself, someone that can help me or someone I know's game or someone that is on my team's game. So why don't you just tell people how they can get in contact with uh, you guys? And I know you're over in Australia, but you guys work around the globe so they can certainly contact you. Yeah, we do. And I've got a, a couple of clients currently that are from Canada, different parts and a few from, from North America as well. Um, so yeah, so for us, the, the easiest way to find us is to just Google Condor Performance. Um, so Condor, like the bird, as we were talking about at the start, but, but definitely putting the performance fit in there because otherwise you will just get a, a really good education on the bird, maybe the plane. <laughs> Should have them well. Very beautiful uh, bird, though. Yes. Oh, amazing <laughs> bird, yeah. Um, we, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. Um, I, I think it's probably easier if I just flick those through to you guys and you can pop them as a, a link um, for our, our tags there. But for Twitter, it's, it's at... Uh, CP underscore sport underscore Sykes. Facebook, we're at Condor Performance. And Instagram, we're at Condor Performance. Um, but Google's by far the easiest way to find us. Condor Performance Psychologist, bang, there you go. And you get a, a blurb on what we do, <clears throat> what people might also find really interesting. We put out a what we call a mental toughness digest um, on a regular basis, which is just a little blog, you know, um, about various topics and interest, things of interest that people can go back through and have a look through different topics that have already been covered, find information there. Um, there's obviously bios on each of the different psychologists that we've got there. So, you know, if you have a preference for I want to work with a female or I want to work with someone who's, you know, younger, older, whatever, we cover most of those genres um, on the way through. But, yeah, and, yes, you know, we work across the globe. So... You know, I have clients currently from what have I got? New Zealand, India, Bahrain, Europe, North America, and obviously Australia right at present. So yeah, my day is a an interesting long one. Um, you know, uh, it's it's early morning for me as I'm talking with you. I don't finish tonight till nine o'clock at night, but I have plenty of gaps in the way through, and it allows me to do that. Well, we really appreciate you joining us here. The uh... Uh, we will for sure put the links down below and, and, you know, I think we we've been seeing recently with a lot of people that uh, people are, are figuring out that, you know, your mental, especially with all the lockdowns, like we're in lockdown right now, we, you're talking about golf. It makes me sad because we're not allowed to golf here. So the, uh, so yeah, people are realizing how, how strong your mental side needs to be, not just your physical side. So we will throw that down there. We'll let people reach out and, and find you. And we really appreciate you joining us. Go enjoy the rest of your day. And I'm going to go have dinner. <laughs> yeah exactly the beauty of this strange world that we live on isn't it? man it's been a real pleasure guys anytime you want to talk to us please get back to us that'd be great i'm dave middleton a proud sun life financial advisor and i've got some fantastic ideas for the money that's building up in your bank account due to covid19 make more and protect more visit sunlife.ca slash dave.middleton Goldline Curling is proud to support the Port Elgin Chrysler 2022 Ontario Tankard in Saugeen Shores. Powered by Bruce Power, February 9th through 13th at the Plex in Port Elgin. Goldline Curling, the choice of champions. You're listening to the Smitty and Mitty Show. 
right, that was James Neller from Condor Sports Performance joining us there, sports psychologist. Really interesting. I thought it, uh, it'll it give some, some listeners maybe a different viewpoint on sports. You wanted to make sure you talked in this segment because you're really scared that I'm going to leave you forever. So you go ahead, say something. Funniest part about that interview is that you didn't know he was from Australia when you booked it. I did not. He was I like, did not. Uh, okay, we're going to do this in your time. And you're like, well, shit. He said, he, he said, oh, by the way, I'm in Australia, so this might be a little bit harder to book. And I'm like, oh, Australia. So I went back and looked at the page. I'm like, oh, Sydney, this Australia, interesting. Australia. This is going to be tough. They need to write it with an accent, so I He's know like, a little bit better. You, you texted me, and we recorded this like a few weeks ago. You were texting me, and you were like, hey, I got us a psychologist. This is going to be really interesting. Uh, by the way, he's from Australia. You couldn't have found anyone local. Well, no, I just, I didn't know. That you had problems with the English language, as long as it wasn't spoke in, like in in Ontario English. Ontario That's the only English. way you can do it is Ontario, Ontario English. English. We've talked to lots of people not from Ontario. You know that, right? Yeah, but if we did something like Nova Scotia or Newfoundland, you would have you you would have a problem with Newfoundland. No, you would have a massive problem. I love with the Newfies. I love the Newfies. You would have a massive problem. Look at we're going way. We went when we went to the Canadian Baseball Championships back when I was playing with the Badgers. Here we go. Here we go. Here's my only good baseball <laughs> stories. We were out in Quebec, and we were not a great team. The Newfies were not a great team. So we well, bonded. We, hammered. <laughs> we bonded by having drinks out in Quebec because we were 18, and we could legally do so. And the Newfies, I tell you, are a good time. And, and, and a second on this note, when my brother was playing Badgers, they hosted the tournament in London. They were staying at the residences at Fanshawe. I had a house around the corner, and when they won, I invited them over for a party. I shouldn't be saying this on air, though, because that is underage kids drinking. You didn't say they drank until you just said they drank. So we could have assumed that they were just having Gatorades and wop and pops. But that they were. They were only doing that. Well, no, you just said drinking. So now we can legally find you. Anyway, so I had the newfies over, and the Quebec kids were the only kids basically that didn't come to the party. It was a good time. French. You don't want the French. Well, we don't. We don't want the French there. But the newfies. Moral of the story: Know how to party. I, I have no problem. Just... Moral of the story, not mortal. I don't think it's mortal of the story. I said moral. I think I think you said mortal, like Mortal Kombat. I think I. I've never played that game. I think I said moral. You don't have to have played Mortal Kombat to say the word mortal. That's not. <laughs> That's you not have a, to say moral. not a prerequisite. Either way, either way, we drove out there once. I was like five years old, and we drove all the way out to to Labrador. My parents got mom. My mom was pregnant so she didn't drink my dad drank actually if you met my brother she might have drank that's beside the point let's move on ryan furnish from talking Buds podcast is joining us here and we're going to talk a little uh, leafs playoffs gentlemen are you ready are you ready for the playoffs where this team is cursed exactly that's what i'm, I'm scared of i'm pumped i'm scared yeah. like this is this is the time where leaf fans just start shaking because like you could just feel as much like optimism as you should have because this team is deep this team is good you just you have that gut feeling that like this is not gonna go well like i just know it it's not gonna go well i'm gonna be so disappointed again oh yeah and 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 dude like i i said on our last podcast i'm walking the finest line between confident and cautious because this is the first time this team has been a heavy favorite in a playoff series in the Austin Matthews era. You could debate they were a bit of a favorite against Columbus last year, but if you remember the Leafs before COVID hit, they, they were pretty trash. Like they were, they were barely got in in the bubble. So this is the first time where it's it's like they're the heavy favorite, and and people keep talking about how they should wipe the Canadians. Canadians should be lucky to win a game or two, but we all know. The regular season means absolutely nothing when the puck drops on game one. So it's walking that line between the Leafs are deeper, they're better, but 
man, you go down a game, they don't play well, they let in a couple bad goals, goalie controversy, man, anything could happen, man. Yeah, I was going to say how important, obviously, game one is the most important game of any series to get started on the right track, but how important is it for Toronto coming in as, like you said, the heavy favorites against Montreal? How important is game one to get started on the right track? Not even the whole game, but the first period to start on the right track. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's... It's huge. And I mean, I, when you really think about it, it's like every series game one is so important. But with this fan base, like you, you imagine like just game one, couple minutes in, bad goal. It's like, oh, and then everyone's just freaking out. And it's just they go down, they lose. And it's just everything that's happened this season that's been so incredible, so amazing, so consistent, something that this team struggled with in years past is consistency. It's just all wiped out by one bad game and everything we've been enjoying over the past couple months is gone so it's yeah like dude they have to get out and win game one for sure it's it's very important and the biggest discussion who's that uh first bad goal gonna go in on for you game one who is between the pipes is it campbell or is it anderson i think it has to be campbell um i i am someone who's always defended freddie anderson I'm a huge fan of him. The guy has been a workhorse since he's been a Maple Leaf. But there is some criticism against him in the playoffs that I think is fair. And I think if you look at Jack Campbell, I'm someone who hasn't been his biggest bandwagoner. But you look at the numbers, man, like they're pretty undeniable. Like 17-2-2, if that's still updated, and a pretty good goals against average and save percentage. I think uh, he's he's – good when they need a good save when he's played and i think he's earned the right to start game one for this hockey team and freddie like you don't know what you get what you're getting from him like you really don't know he's been hurt he's played a couple ahl games he's coming back to play a game before the playoffs start but i think it's jack campbell man i think he's really earned this opportunity and i think he's played very well for this hockey team it's that classic discussion, right? You're not supposed to lose your position based on injury, but at the same time, he's been down for, for months now for what, two months, month and a half. seems like forever. Like, it, it does seems forever. The last time Fred Anderson took the net for the Leafs. And before that even happened, he wasn't playing very well either. So... And even if you think it was just because of injury, like I understand that too. He's a guy by all means, everyone is telling you that he needs to be 100% healthy to be, good in the net and look he has been good in the net for this team i think underratedly good in the net for this team for for the last couple years but does he lose the net based on just an injury like are i think they're kind of tipping their hand by saying anderson's getting you know wednesday night and campbell's getting the last game because i don't think they're gonna let campbell go or anderson go a week after already missing all this time before getting back into the net for game one yeah i think i'd be love to to be a fly in the wall in the leafs uh, front office and to know who they feel most confident in if both of them are playing 100% because I think they're going to do their absolute best to get Freddie up to speed just in case Jack Campbell has a stinker in game one because I think whoever starts Freddie or Campbell which I think it's going to be Campbell one stinker the other guy's going in and I think for Freddie Anderson starting the series Um, I think there's a lot of expectations. I think Freddie could almost kind of creep in with no expectations, backup goalie, say Campbell is a bad game, throw Freddie in there. Expectations are down. That's his redemption story. I think by the end of this playoff, especially if they get through the first round, I think that Freddie Anderson at some point 
will get some redemption from previous playoff appearances. Well, you remember what happened with Holpe a couple, what was it, two years ago when, when the Capitals won the cup? He wasn't the starting goaltender to start the year. And then uh, all of a sudden the team got a little cold. He went in, yeah, he, he took him all man. the way to the cup. Exactly. Yeah, and for sure. So hot goalies man. can take you further than any other, than any other player in any other sport, I think in hockey in the playoffs. So you get a hot goalie, you can run with it for rounds, if not the entire playoffs. And I think for the Leafs, you just got to, you don't got to hope, but you got to hope that what you've been seeing over the last few weeks to a month is is going to continue on in the playoffs. And that's the scariest part about the Montreal Canadiens is if Carey Price gets hot, he is the best goaltender in the world. So that's I think that's the only way Montreal could possibly even hang into the series. Yeah, for sure. And it, it is scary. And you're right, man. Like it, a hot goalie, no matter who it is, it, it's it's the biggest game changer in the playoffs. And I think a lot of people have to take where the only way they could see the Leafs losing is if they run into a hot goalie. And it's like, well, I think every team is probably don't have a great shot of winning if they run into a hot goalie. And I just hope the Habs kind of have, you got to play a certain way to beat the Maple Leafs. I think everyone knows that Columbus played that way last year and it's pretty, um, you got to play a strong defensive game. A lot of teams collapse the middle of uh, the, the slot in front of the net in front of them. And I think the Habs, even though they are a little weaker than the Leafs, I think they do have that smidgen of what it takes to beat the Leafs. So that's why I'm just, if you add that with a hot goaltender, I am just, man, I, I, I want to be confident, but how can you be? Like, I, I just, I'm, I'm really, really struggling having full confidence heading into this series. Cause you just, you just don't know. And I, and I'm just one of those fans that believes this team is just cursed. Like I, and, <laughs> Like it's true. Like they haven't won around in forever. And it's, and it's amazing how it's, it's led to Leafs Habs too. It's, it's for all the previous generation Leaf fans. This isn't just for guys like us of a certain age. It's for our dads. And it's just like, it's amazing how this team, these two teams have not met since 79. And now it's, it's happening this year. And it's, it's, if you're a Leaf fan and you're a heavy favorite and you lose that first round of the Habs, oh, man. You, you I, won't I, hear the end of it. Yeah. Oh, never. <laughs> never been. It, oh. it, it sometimes makes me chuckle when I hear Leafs fans talk about how frustrating it is. When you look at it, when I'm looking at it from the outside looking in saying this team is so good, like this team is so good. But I guess that's kind of the part that makes you stress a little bit and worry a little bit it's too good to be true almost. Is that weird to say? Well, there's always no. that one thing too. Sorry. It's, it's like, yes, the team's really good, but then someone will say, well, yeah, but the North division's really weak. So like, there's always that person that's right in your ear because everyone loves to hate the Leafs. So whenever you have optimism, it's always like, well, yeah, the North sucks. Wait until they get out of the North. It's like, no, let's, let's get there. Let's get there. I'm fine with getting there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and it's just, and yeah, the North division has been weak for sure. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but, as a guy who tries to tune into every Leaf game and pay attention to have accurate takes and accurate opinions, these last like eight games have been just almost a chore to watch because the standings have been locked up. The Leafs have almost gone wire to wire in first place. So all this time just building up to this playoff and man, and within one game, it could all just, you could get straight to negative town easily. Now, one final question before we uh, let you go here, Ryan. Give me, give me your prediction on this series. If you had to give me 
a series score? I'm going to go Leafs in six. I, 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 feel, I feel that the Leafs are just not a team that's going to sweep anybody. And I, I, I think they're too good to lose this series. I think they're too deep. You look at the lines they're trying to assemble for this hockey team. And I just think with, with a better decor compared to years before, I think it's going to be six games Leafs win. And that was Ryan Furnish of Talking Buds podcast. Really excited. I used to play with Ryan. We lived in like we we would be in the same hotel room when we were on the roads with the Ontario Blue Jays. Great guy. I mentioned his uncle there. If you don't know, Ryan's uncle is married to Sir Elton John. Yes. Very interesting. If you watch the end of that movie, which is a very uh, artistic movie, when you get to the end, you get a picture of uh, Dave Furnish. Ryan's uncle, very nice. So he called him a couple times while we were on the road, and and Elton John would pop on and say hi, and that was very, 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 very cool. That is, it's interesting when you find someone who has a relationship with someone famous, and the famous people actually like want to talk to you. Hey, don't you find that weird? I guess they're still human, is what I, is what you find out, right? What do you What do you mean? Well, it's just like sometimes you're like, oh, famous people, they would never talk to you. Why would they want to talk to guys on a bus? Right. Well, it, I mean, it depends. Like, if you just see Leonardo DiCaprio in the middle of a desert and go over and talk to him, yeah, he's gonna be. Why a bit is skittish. Leo in a desert? He's shooting a movie. Who cares? <laughs> Why is he alone? <laughs> the cameras are hidden, so we bear can be grills. in character. He's listen, going bear grills. <laughs> he's gonna drink his own piss. <laughs> he needs to be in character. Leo does nothing out of character. All right, he hangs out in the woods or he hangs out in the desert. Like, okay. But I'm just saying, if you go up and talk to him in the middle of nowhere, yeah. Survivor Man. He's with probably, Leonardo DiCaprio. He's probably what was that voice? He's probably just not. Gonna to talk to you but <laughs> but if you know them like if you know hockey players let's say because you worked for the own sound attack and you see them and and you go talk to them even though they are nhl stars they're probably going to stop and talk to you because you actually wow. they, they're not just like they're not worried that you're just talking to them just to try like just as a fan like they know you know them you can actually have a conversation but yeah i get that like when people come to talk to me okay people don't as talk the to star you. of the smitty Mitty show when people come over to talk to me i'm a bit nervous i don't want to talk oh, no. to fans unless i know them but i do talk to fans because i am a generous generous person yes yes by the way donate so we can buy a horse <laughs> We need to buy a horse for the uh, Kentucky Derby. So speaking of that, I wanted to bring up this story. The, the horse that won the Kentucky Derby, you knew that he was suspended. That horse was disqualified for testing positive um, for some kind of... It, it was... Horse tranquilizer. I, I don't think it was a trank, but a it was... Drug? It, it was a drug that like basically um, numbs them so that they don't feel the pain, so they run faster because they're not feeling pain. It's actually a huge concern for the horses because if you don't feel pain they're more than likely to twist an ankle break mm-hmm. a leg and then they're euthanized like the age limit for a horse or the average age for a, for a racing horse is like five years like it, it's really low it's PETA would not enjoy it no and, I mean I don't enjoy it either but PETA really doesn't no PETA doesn't like a lot of things but the owner of that horse Bob Baffert okay Hall of Fame owner one of the best owners he has had five horses this year test positive and be disqualified from races not a good look. Five horses this year. How many horses does like the average owner have? Do you know that? Not really. I have no idea. I mean, he's like again a Hall of Fame owner. Like he probably owns. Like if he has five horses test positive, is that half of his horses? Is that all of his horses? Like I mean, it's a lot of number of horses. I don't care how many horses you have. The only time it's a weird number is if you only have one horse and you have five test positive. <laughs> that is weird. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. One through five. That's weird. <laughs> After that, that is just it's just. Normal-ish, yeah. But uh, I think this is the weirdest part. Though I, I read somewhere that his reasoning was that he had taken the drug. 
he had peed in the barn on the hay. The horse ate the hay, and then the horse had the, the trank or whatever it was in the blood. What? That, I, I mean, hey, don't shoot the messenger. It's just, I mean, is it fake news? Maybe. Maybe. It sounds like something that maybe someone wouldn't say, but he is, he's definitely, like, hard against the racing community saying he's trying to be set up. And then... When you, like, maybe they might want to set you up with one horse, but when you get to five, it becomes yes. very believable. Yeah. I, uh, so he peed in the hay. Right. Doesn't seem like a great thing to do when you're one of the best horse owners. And I'm just saying there's probably a lot more field you could pee if you had to. You yes. didn't have to pick yes. the... the been on a lot of farms. You, you didn't have, have to <laughs> pee in the barn. You didn't have to pick exactly where the horse eats. Yes. Yes. Right. It's actually frowned upon. I would say. To do that. I'm not a horse owner, but I would say. Also, why is he on horse drugs? Well, I, I think it's just like an... Uh, oh, it's just a normal drug? Yeah. But I mean, it would... I mean, a horse is a big animal. It would have to be a lot mm-hmm. for them for one test. Like, because you're allowed a certain amount of this drug in your body. For sure. Or in the horse's body. And then there's a limit. And he was like... So the amount, like two the times amount that was the in limit. the horse's body for it to be his urine would probably kill him, you would think, this amount of drug. He's an old man. I would assume so. Yes. So I, that's a weird story, man. Horse racing is interesting. But like, do you not think that there should be some kind of fine? Because that's... Let's say there's five horses. You are endangering the life of a horse to win a race in front of a bunch of people in weird hats. At this point, though, is it... And here comes the the Noah not knowing enough about horse racing. Does it sound like I know a lot about horse racing? No. (laughs) Is this not endangering the rider as well? Right? You talk about the chance of injury and the horse twisting an ankle because it can't feel pain. I would assume so, yeah. put humans at risk, too. I'm... Other people's horses, like the liability here is not just on his five horses. Well, call, call me crazy, but I see the danger to the horse who is an unwilling participant in this whole situation as probably the, the biggest atrocity. And then sure. maybe a little bit further down is the four foot one rider, but and then the other <laughs> literally horses. a little bit down. I'm just saying there's a scale and probably putting the, the actual horse, your horse in that much danger and not worried about having to be euthanized. That That is a problem to me. That It just seemed like a strange story. Also, since we since we've been in studio last, uh, which is a long time, but since we've talked last, Aaron Rodgers talking about leaving and maybe reporting. It's a, that's a strange story. He was actually at the Kentucky Derby and met up with a reporter and said basically that like everything will be okay. He thinks, but what does that mean though? I don't know. I don't what know. does everything will be okay? It was very. There's vague. a lot of options where I'm sure it will be okay. Very vague, and I don't think that team, the, the Green Bay Packers, are not. A great team in the first place. They lost a running back, I too, I believe. So, yeah, something to look after for. But hey, we had a lot of interviews and we're running really long. So you want to just uh, say yeah, goodbye to the people? Let's just wrap this. All thing right, you up. do Big it. thank you. You do it to our guests on this show. Yes, guests plural, multiple guests. James Neller, psychologist with Condor Sports Performance, for hopping on talking to us about the world of psychology and sports and kind of how we're starting to see that uh, become the norm, if you will. Right? Like we're starting to see that a whole lot more. So big thanks for him for hopping on and joining us as well as Ryan Furnish the Talking Buds podcast, talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs and their upcoming playoffs starting this week. You know what I also found interesting, because I, I reading everything on his website or on the website of Condor Sports, which will be in the links. We're going to have all their social media pages there, so check them out, because they do go overseas, so you will have an opportunity if you have a young person in sports to ha- to, to be able to have that, that, that conversation with them, to be able to get their... Uh, what, what, what do you want to say? Get insight? Their, sure. Sure. They Let's do have people that not, don't have Australian accents as well. Let this be known. We don't know that. Yes, they, he told us that. He told us he has people that aren't from Australia. Okay, whatever. Um, I'm assuming they don't have Australian but I was just really, I was just really interested with the younger people, because you know when Tommy John became 
like prevalent and and scouts were actually telling kids 14 13 years of age to get Tommy John to avoid having to Scary. get it in the future so when I saw the young people thing it really concerned me because I don't know how much how much it would really help them so I thought that was an interesting uh, conversation to, to learn from him but also thanks to shirtless Kev I now dub the shirtless cub shirtless Kev the second is now his name because this is the second time he has changed his picture to shirtless Kev so thank you to our producer shirtless Kev the second for uh, for doing everything he does for us as well, Goldline Curling, the choice of champions in Dave Middleton at Sun Life Financial and King Carden, life's brighter under the sun for helping make this show and our radio show and everything we do here in the Smitty Mitty Show studios possible. We thank you. That does it for us here on another week of the Smitty and Mitty Show. I love, I just love being here with you because I love feeding off the energy. We're going to have to go back to out of studio a little bit. This was a special, special day, but I just love being here and feeding off your so energy. So good to be friend. back. The vaccines are booked. You've got your first one in the mine. arm. I got mine booked for a week or so from now. So, hey, we're nearing the end. The light is at the end of the tunnel. We can see it. Mine is not in color, but I can see it. (laughs) It is there, and it is nearing ever closer. We thank you for listening with us this week, and we'll see you again in a week's time.